Good morning. Today is September 27th, 2020. It is the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, and our text is the last chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. And this concludes our study of the book of Romans that we've been doing over the summer. We conclude our study of Paul's letter to the Romans today with this final chapter. In reading it, it doesn't look like much. I mean, there are lists of greetings. You remember lists of greetings when you used to write letters. At the end, you said farewell. Say hello to Aunt Agnes. Say hello to Uncle Ernest. The ending is a catch-all, kind of, for the last-minute tidbits. Paul has a long list of people to greet after his main letter, and we don't know all these people. These are people pretty much forgotten in the course of history. But you know, they were important to Paul. And even though it might look like last-minute tidbits to us, it wasn't for Paul. In around 2014, my daughter Nicole and I started to work on a project together. We had found a couple metal suitcases with letters in it, three years worth. From 1942 to 1945, my dad wrote many letters while he was in the Army. From the time he started training at Cap Funkston on the Fort Riley base in Manhattan, Kansas in 1942, until he returned home from Remagen, Germany after crossing the Rhine River in 1945, shortly after the war, and every letter received and every sent. Everything was in dated order with envelopes, stamps, etc. So we started reading chronologically, like a book, about people we didn't know, places we'd never been, references to people and events we did not know. For the short time we were able to spend on this project together, we both got to know a father and grandfather in a way we never did before. scrolls, But he did leave a last chapter, the longest greetings of any of his letters, the last chapter of Romans, which is no less different. The end of the letter is a catch-all for personal greetings to people we've never met and history forgotten. It mentions places you and I have probably never visited. It mentions churches that have long ago disappeared in history or were perhaps destroyed by Roman marauders seeking to wipe out Christians and Jews alike. So like my father's letters, this seemingly meaningless ending of greetings and blessings contains mysteries and a treasure trove of information, a history that is detrimental to our own history. So let's dig in. What is at first interesting is that Paul is writing a letter to a church he had never visited up to this point. Who started it? How did it get here? Paul knows of the churches in Rome. Jewish Christians founded the church in Rome. They didn't write any books of the Bible, We can't read anything that they've done. But in their daily activities, they spoke and taught what they had found in Jerusalem, the Messiah. They are the unsung heroes of the first century church. But we can see at once that these churches or congregations were very fluid in the Roman Empire. People came to Rome from other provinces and cities, visited each other, they fellowshiped with each other, they shared their homes and food with those travelers as they came and went. After all, they were being persecuted, so they couldn't just make public appearances. Sharing spiritual food, 
and sharing blessings in material fellowship. They were a small bunch that needed the support and encouragement under persecution to strengthen each other. And as they welcomed other Christians, they welcomed Paul when he was under house arrest there waiting trial in 68 D. But what will really help us in understanding more about this treasure trove Paul lists here is something that Jesus did back in the Gospel of Luke, and only Luke records it. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Jesus sends out 70 disciples. Luke reports at 72 other and others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Go, I am sending you out like lambs surrounded by wolves. Do not carry a money bag, a traveler's bag, or sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whenever you enter a house, first say, person is there, your peace will remain on him, but if it is not, it will return to you. Stay in that same house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the worker deserves his pay. Do not move around from house to house. Whenever you enter a town, and the people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in that town, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come upon you. But whenever you enter a town and the people do not welcome you, go and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This short, unique description of the 70 or 72 that were sent out sets the backdrop for the unlikely heroes that they were. It was important when Jesus said it, and it's important some 23 years later when Paul is ending his letter. And so here we can find a connection. Paul first mentions a deacon, Phoebe, from Cancrea. Phoebe carried Paul's letters to Rome. She was a missionary in Rome. Paul tells the churches in Rome to assist her in any way in her ministry because she helped Paul in his mission, probably in Galatia and Corinth on his missionary journeys. He then mentions another couple, Priscilla. They are the link between Paul and the churches in Rome. Aquila was one of the 70, these 70 where we just read, whom Jesus sent out in the Gospels to be missionaries in the surrounding villages. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers with Paul in Corinth and then went to Rome when they helped, where they helped found a congregation. When the emperor Claudius deported all Jews from Rome, they went to Aquila's hometown of Pontus and worked with Paul there once again. They saved Paul's life on a number of times as synagogues rose up in revolt. And then returning to Rome, they continued working in the church and trained a major evangelist whose name was Apollos, who was principal in the ministry in Ephesus after becoming dissatisfied with the church divisions in Corinth. Following the train of thought about Apollos, Paul names Epinetus. He was the first convert in Asia, in Ephesus, now helping in Rome. He went on to be bishop or pastor, as we call them now, in Carthage, Libya. Though Paul did not start the church in Rome, news and visitors obviously traveled fast across trade routes and Christians coming to Rome visited in houses. Like today, big cities attract a people from outlying areas. And Paul greets Mary, particularly hard worker, with Priscilla and Epinetus, 
relatives who came to know Christ even before he did. Andronicus, his cousin, is mentioned. He was also one of the 70 that were sent out by Christ in the Gospel of Luke. He was later Bishop of Pananoia, in his present day Hungary and Austria, along the Danube River. Junia was his wife, and at some point Paul was imprisoned with both of them. Paul doesn't call them co-workers or deacons, but he calls them Timothy and others apostles as well. But it's interesting because this is the only place in Scripture where we hear of a woman specifically being called an apostle. Paul continues to greet beloved Ampliatus. He was perhaps martyred as a tomb in the catacombs around the city of Domitilla from around 75 AD bears the inscription Ampliat. The tomb after leaving Jerusalem, Ampliatus was possibly a member of the emperor's household as a slave. Paul mentions Ampliatus and Urbanus of Macedonia, and later mentions Hermes, Philologus, and Julia, who were all possible members of the emperor's household, and slaves were considered part of the emperor's household. Both Ampliatus and Urbanus were known to have been among the 70 who Jesus sent out in Luke chapter 10. At some point, Ampliatus was the first bishop of Odessa in Bulgaria, and Urbanus the first bishop of Macedonia, and both were martyred. Not much as information is given about the next person whom Paul greets, Apelles. He was also one of the 70 that were sent out, but originally came from the island of Crete. Paul considered him approved. The Greek word means attested to, whose speech and teaching is trustworthy, no falsehood. Then Paul greets Aristobulus, who on the other hand is very well known. He was the brother of Barnabas and traveled with both Barnabas and Paul on their missionary journeys. He also was one of the original 70 that was sent out by Christ in the Gospel of Luke. Aristobulus had become the first pastor in Rome and he was the first missionary to Roman Britain, where he was martyred in Wales even before Paul's visit to Rome. Paul therefore greets the family of Aristobulus, who are still living in Rome, although he had long been martyred. Paul had yet another relative, and his name was Herodian. He greets him as well. Herodian was also among the 70 that the Lord sent out in the Gospel of Luke, and he became the bishop or preacher later in Patras, which is in modern-day Greece. He was beheaded together uh, with, on the same day as the Apostle Peter in Rome. A famous rich man, a powerful freedman who exercised great influence on the Emperor Claudius, was a friend named Mar Narcissus. Narcissus was also one of the 70 that Christ had sent out in the Gospel of Luke. Although Narcissus was a freed slave, Paul here greets his family, who remained slaves. During Claudius' reign, Narcissus became the bishop of Athens, Greece. Nero succeeded Claudius and had Narcissus put to death. Then some twin, twin women, members of the emperor's family in some way, are named. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Their names indicate a pagan origin, but they also suggest wealth. They possibly became Christians as a result of the influence of Aristobulus and Narcissus's families who were slaves with the emperor's household. 
but they too were workers even within the ranks of the emperor's family. Paul then mentions Persisus and Rufus. They were mostly, most likely a married couple, and Persisus, the wife, was most likely a Roman slave who bought her freedom at Persisus as Persisus is a slave's name. Rufus, on the other hand, is known as the son of Simon the Serene, who carried the cross of Christ in Mark 15. Rufus's mother, whom Paul greets here also, was at the crucifixion of Christ, and her husband, the one who carried the cross. Then greetings to Asyncritus, who became the bishop of Hyrcania in Asia, Phlegon, who became the bishop of Marathon in Thrace, Hermes Petrobus, bishop of Neapolis in Naples, and Hermas, the future bishop of Philippi, are thought to be those same people who send the greetings at the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians in 422, where he says, when he writes to the Philippians from jail in Rome, all the saints greet you, particularly those of Caesar's household, meaning his slaves. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians while under house arrest in Rome. These were, at the time, most likely counted as members of Caesar's household. Those who Paul greets as the brothers and sisters who are with them probably refers to those of Caesar's family of slaves that worship together. Greetings include Philologus, who became bishop of Sinope on the Black Sea. His wife was Julie. Nereus, together with his sister, as they meet in their house church. Olympus and Philologus were both among the 70 that Christ sent out as well. Olympus, however, did not become a pastor or bishop of any area. Last but not least, Paul mentions greetings of his secretary, Tertius, his secretary, and Gaius, who has hosted Paul in his home and the church that meets there. He greets Erastus, the city treasurer, and a man named Quartus. If you get the idea that the church was connected, you would be right. If you get the idea that the church met in people's homes and that there were a number of churches, you would be right. If you get the idea that the church expanded through relationships of friends and extended families, you would be right. They depended on fellowship just as we do. They were outcast from the world just as we are. But as they lived in fellowship, they also engaged their Christian faith with the outside world. The gospel spread through these families, through their relatives, from the eyewitness accounts of those who had been at Jesus' feet and were sent out, co-business partners, people who worked together, lived side by side and worked for others. The gospel was spread through interpersonal relationships. The gospel thread through risk and faithfulness as well to what they knew to be the only thing worth living for. Because they were persecuted, turned over to the courts, suffered as lit torches to illuminate Caesar's court, there was ultimate risk involved in sharing the gospel. As Christ says, he who lays down his life for my sake will ultimately find it. The risk was taken to share a message of hope, salvation, and a life beyond the world in which they lived and in which they died. And because of this risk and persecution, time was of the essence. Tomorrow was a day in which they might be caught, turned in, or killed. 
They looked at every day as the day of salvation for someone who did not know Jesus Christ. They had a limit of time in which to share what they had seen Jesus teach, preach, die, and rise from the, from the dead for the redemption of all sinners and the hope of eternal life. These are our unsung heroes. Many are not mentioned by name in the gospel, but they were part of a missionary body of 70, even before the 12 were chosen as apostles. We love the letters of Paul and the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if it were not for these lives of these no-names, the forgotten missionaries, we would not be here today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today he has not changed. His church, the priesthood of all believers, you and me at all times in history, receives through his body and his blood the forgiveness of sins. We all became children of this wonderful God and children of the promise of eternal life through this same Jesus through our baptism. Together, we here are brothers and sisters, and we are brothers and sisters with those who are mentioned in this letter. Time is of the essence for us as well. Time to share our faith before our time is up. As we go out, we do not go to Ephesus. We do not go to Alexandria. We don't go to Rome, but we are sent out nonetheless by our same Lord to go and make disciples as we go through our daily activities with friends, relatives, neighbors, while there is still the light of day and a freedom to share the gospel publicly, because he who sends you has also empowered you with his word and spirit to be the light of this world. Amen.